Beautiful ladies. Thank you. So we've been talking about what's called the seven statements. Seven things that were sometimes you'll hear it as the seven words, but they're actually statements, seven statements that were made um, by Christ during the crucifixion, by Jesus during the crucifixion, since he had not been Christed until after that experience. So I didn't warn you there was a test, but let's just see how much you remember. So we started a few weeks ago with the very first statement that had to do with being love and forgiveness. Do you remember what the first statement was? Yes, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we talked about in that statement is the... the, um, the understanding of the divine field of consciousness, the divine field, that when we speak of Father, we're not necessarily talking about that God out there on a cloud. We're talking about the divine presence that permeates all things. And forgive them, for they know not what they do. We talked about the love that exists in that divine presence and how when you are the holy, when you truly are the living as the presence of the divine, that forgiveness is the core of who you are, isn't it? That love is so deep, so compassionate, so profound, that forgiveness exists there almost effortlessly. You almost cannot express divine love unless you fully comprehend and can live from forgiveness. So we talked about that. The second statement that we looked at um, gave us an invitation to consider where we are in our lives, whether we are in the past or we are in the future or we're living in the present moment. Do you remember what that statement was? I hear whisperings. Remember, like, I don't remember. Somebody hurry up and remember. When Jesus was on the cross between the two thieves, he said, that's right. Today you will join me in paradise, not tomorrow. Not yesterday, but today you will join me in paradise. It was a statement that said something about being in the present moment, that we must be in the present moment. So if we're on a transformative journey now, we've learned that we first bring ourselves to, to the best of our ability, to a state of divine love and forgiveness, and we be fully present, fully in our bodies, fully present in this place right now because we really can't do anything about the past and the future isn't here yet. We can only address what we're transforming from this moment right here. Roger was here to speak the third statement. And the third statement was, yes, mother behold your son, son behold your mother, or vice versa, I can't remember. Uh, But the point is that we are all connected to one another, aren't we? That it isn't just blood that connects us, that we, mother and son, friend to friend, uh, person to person, are all emerging from the same divine consciousness, from the same divine quantum field, if you will. That we all come from the same place, and we are interconnected one with each other. So we bring ourselves to a state of love, which incorporates forgiveness. We bring ourselves fully into consciousness of this moment, and we realize that we're connected with all things. 
These are necessary steps in the transformational process. Last week, we looked at a statement that um, is different in Aramaic than it is in Greek. And the statement is, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which we understood to mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when translated back into its original Aramaic, some scholars believe that what it means truly is my heart or listen to my heart. This is my destiny. So it's very different. Listen to my heart. This is my destiny. So this is no longer speaking out to a God. This is speaking to the people who are there with Jesus in that moment. My heart, my heart, this is my destiny. This is my purpose. This is why I came here. And we did come here to transform, didn't we? We transform over and over and over in our lives from small children to medium children to young adults to not quite so young adults. And as we move through, things change. Our perceptions change. What we choose to do each day changes. How we live our life changes. Everything changes. We transform on a regular basis. There are some times in life that we want to transform intentionally. That there are big areas that we want to transform. And this pattern for transformation is a way to do that. So, so this week we're on the fifth statement. And the fifth statement is so simple. The fifth statement is, I thirst. And on the surface, first of all, I have to tell you, this statement kept me up until four o'clock this morning. <laughs> on the surface, this is such an easy statement. Because it's just a statement of, ask and you're going to receive, Right? We all know that. We've all, we've all read that scripture as well. Ask and you will receive. So I thirst, my thirst is quenched. We could look at it right there and we could leave it there. We could say, okay, once we have come to this point of realizing it's our divine purpose, we need to ask for what we want. And that would be good. And it's probably part of the formula. And if I had been able to leave that alone, I could have slept last night. <laughs> But there are so many things that happen in this particular set of verses. And this is found in the book of John, and it's the only place that it's found. And it's, it's unique. So, so here's what happens. Jesus says, I thirst. And one of the Roman soldiers who's there takes a sponge and puts it on a hyssop stalk and dips it in wine vinegar and puts it to his lips. And then soon after he dies and a second Roman soldier stabs him in the side with a spear to make sure that he's really dead before they take him off the cross. So I thirst doesn't feel like enough when all of those big things happened in the story. These are really big pieces of the story. So I started looking at the symbology of these things. And, and before I go into them, I want to remind you that we all do this differently. One of the things I love about unity is that we have the opportunity to practice our own interpretation of these scriptures or anything that we read. And one of the things that we're well encouraged to do is to seek the answers that come to us as our truth. So you may have a different interpretation. I invite you to go and read these scriptures. You may have a different interpretation. You may understand the story differently. And here you have the liberty to do that from your own heart. You can't find out how things interpret for you if you don't ever open the book. 
So I encourage you to look. So I laid awake till four o'clock in the morning trying to figure out how all these pieces to get, to get together, fit together. Yesterday afternoon, I got on and talked to Dr. Google a little bit and I found a couple of pieces of important information because I was thinking, first of all, this is all happening on Golgotha, which is a hill, right? And Golgotha is an Aramaic word that means the skull. So we're told very clearly, this is happening in our head. This transformative process is happening here in our head, in our consciousness. So then I looked at these symbols and thought, if it was just I thirst, then that would have been the end. There wouldn't have been all this explanation about the other soldiers. So now you've got Roman soldiers standing on the hill waiting for Jesus to die. And in the process... If you're waiting for somebody to die, why are you quenching their thirst? And why was there wine vinegar up on the hill? And how come there were sponges there? (laughs) This is starting to not make sense. So I started looking up the meaning of these things. So the first thing that I found was that there there didn't just happen to be wine vinegar on Golgotha. That wine vinegar... Is um, in that time was a drink. There was a drink that the Roman soldiers carried with them. It was called Pasca, and it was wine vinegar and water. And the reason that they carried it with them is because, first of all, the water smelled terrible. It wasn't like it is now, where the water was clean and clear and we could drink it, especially here in Colorado. The water that they carried with them had a putrid smell, and so they covered that smell using this wine vinegar and it had no alcohol in it. So I had grown up believing that this drink maybe was a sign of mercy, that it had alcohol in it and maybe it would ease the pain of the experience, but there was no alcohol in Pascha. It was a a drink that was used primarily because it fought scurvy because they didn't get enough vitamin C and scurvy causes all kinds of problems with the body. So this is a drink that the soldiers drank to strengthen and keep healthy their body. Keep that in your mind. Put that in your mental bank. The next thing was how come there are sponges on Golgotha? What is that about? Why would there be sponges? Well, the reason that there was a sponge available is because Roman soldiers used sponges on the inside of their helmets to make their helmets comfortable on their head because they didn't have what we have now, which is that nice piece of plastic, whatever it is, cushiony stuff that goes inside of our hats. Those, those helmets were heavy and metal and wearing them against your head, especially on a warm day in the Middle East was probably not going to work very well. So they had sponges that were there for comfort. And that's why that sponge happened to be there. Remember that sponges at that time didn't look like the square, nice square ones that we have at our kitchen sink. They came fresh from the ocean. They came from the water and they, um, they had a different texture and a different feel to them. So hold that piece in your mental bag. And then how come it was specified that, that the use that the plant used was hyssop? Why didn't they just say, Jesus, you know, the soldier took a stick? Why did it have to be specifically hyssop? Well, hyssop was used at that time for purification. 
And if you use the herb today, you have to be very careful with it because just a few drops of it can be very disturbing to your system. It cleans everything out. It's a, it's a strong purifier. So these are interesting parts to me. These are really interesting pieces of what happened. Then the other thing that happened was that normally the Roman soldiers would break the legs of the person who was being crucified to speed up the death process. And remember, this was happening going into, it was Jew, this was in a Jewish area, and this was happening going into the day of Sabbath. So they wanted for the people on the cross to expire so they could get them down before the Sabbath began. And so in order to do that, they would break their legs to speed up the process. Well, when they decided to take that action, it was too late. Jesus had already expired. So if someone has already expired, why do you have to stab him in the side to make sure? Interesting. They call that spear the spear of destiny, and you can go talk to Dr. Google, and there's all kinds of interesting stories about the spear of destiny. But one of the very interesting things, and this might be interesting, it was interesting to me because I grew up Catholic and I know that that's true for some of you. I was never taught this, but when Jesus was speared in the side, what came from the wound was both blood and water. And so in the Catholic ceremony, when they do the Eucharist, they mix blood and water because it represents the human and the God that were one in Christ. And so now we know that this tells us a little bit about both our human part and our God self coming into union in this form. So I, I had these pieces and this spear. <laughs> what the heck is that about? And I laid in bed last night trying to figure out what that is about. Just give me whatever the little pieces I need so the puzzle fits together. Because I know that there's a reason that all of these pieces are there. That these are too many details to just have to do with being thirsty. And I realized that the spear uh, in most esoteric traditions represents the element of air. And the element of air is the element that takes us to consideration of our mental faculties. How is it that we think? And that made me look at the other pieces through the eyes of subtle bodies. And we talked about subtle bodies, didn't we, a few weeks ago, that there are four subtle bodies. There's your mental body, your emotional body, your physical body, and your spiritual body. So now let's go back and look at all of those pieces that we put away. So the Pascha which was used by the soldiers, was used to heal their what? Their physical, their physical body. So now we have a representation of the physical body. And the sponge, which comes from the water, ties to the element, ties to the element of water. And water is the element, for those of you that know, what subtle body does water represent? <laughs> It represents your emotions. It represents your emotions. Think about how emotions flow. And then I thought about the hyssop and purification, and the words that came to mind for me were the fires of purification. So now we have 
spirit, because fire is the element for spirit. And finally, the spear, which is air, which is the mental field. Now we have four subtle bodies coming together before whatever needs to be transformed dies, comes to its end. So if I look at the pattern of what's happening here and I bring myself all the way to the point of realizing this is my purpose, this is my holy purpose, this is why I'm here, now I am going to balance all four subtle bodies and I'm going to ask for what I want and I'm going to make change. So balancing all four subtle bodies sounds like this la-la idea out here, but I'm going to show you how easy it is to do. I want you to put your feet on the floor and close your eyes. And first, I want you to notice your body. I want you to settle into your body. So most of the time, we have parts of our body that are tight. And when our body is tight, we kind of hold our energy up in our body instead of settling all the way down. So I want to invite you to relax your hips, relax your belly. Nobody's looking. (laughs) Relax your belly. Relax your knees. Don't hold your knees tight together. Let your knees just rest comfortably and allow the physical body to come to balance. And you can feel it. You can feel it on your seat. Are you lean too far to one side or the other? Are you resting straight up and down on your spine, settled and balanced in your physical body? Now, consider your emotional body. How are you feeling right now? Are you thinking about things that cause you emotions, or can you just be in a neutral emotion place? That means you don't have to agree with me or disagree with me. All you're doing is just being neutral, just allowing the emotional body to be neutral and balanced. Now, notice your mind. Notice if you're trying to think into this experience or you're just letting it happen. If you're trying to make something happen, stop doing that. Just allow yourself, allow your mind to be clear so that you can be settled and neutral and at ease and balanced right now. And as you do that, when those three bodies come into balance, it's easier to identify the spiritual aspect of self the holy part of the self that lives at the center of who you are. Nothing you have to do with that but allow allow it to pulse through you, to just know that it's there. Just be aware and gently open your eyes. So it's that easy to bring all the subtle bodies into balance. It just takes attention. Every one of those levels of yourself can interfere with the great work of your life. If you are working to transform something and your head is off in in la-la land worrying about something else, the rest of the bodies aren't going to work. If you have everything balanced except your emotions, your emotions can get in the way of the quality of your work and stop you from feeling free to move forward. Certainly if your physical body, if you're not really in there, you're not really settled into this moment, it can be difficult to transform something. So when we transform, there is a death. There is a death of what was to make space for what is. 
There is a death of what was to make space for what is being transformed, what is coming. And there's not a leaving behind in this case, is there? Transformation means to allow for change to take place completely because everything that Jesus was was trans- transformed completely. His entire, there wasn't a shell left. Everything was transformed. This is a powerful, powerful piece of work. When all the four subtle bodies are brought into balance, you ask for what you want and you receive it. And what needs to go dies. And in that death, by symbology anyway, we see that both the human aspect of ourselves and the God aspect of ourselves come together, flow together. That's pretty powerful stuff. I think we spend a whole bunch of our life trying to figure out how to get the human aspects of ourselves and the divine to flow together as one. This pattern, this pattern has great potential if we use it. If we don't let it be all about the interpretation, but we actually bring it down into our body and use it. And there are things that we want to change. There are old ideas we want to let go of. There are, there are angers and frustrations we have with people that we want to transform into love and grace. There are times in our life that we go from one stage to, a ne- to the next that we wonder how will we live in this new way, in this new place that our body is or this new place that we've moved to or this new thing that we've learned. This transformation process, really this story doesn't have much value if we can't use it, if it's just a story that we keep telling each other. But we don't actually go deeper into it and figure out what we're being taught. And there is a powerful, powerful teaching here. So I hope you'll think about it. I really encourage you to go and read the book of John. And those of you who've known me for years and years know that I am not the person who generally says, go read the Bible. And I am saying it to you because this this story is powerful. And what you can learn from this is really meaningful in your lives. Next week, we're going to talk about the last two statements. The last two statements are, it is done And into your hands I commit my spirit. And we're going to talk about those two things next week. And we'll also talk about Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. If I can get them here, we'll have palms for you. And the following Sunday is Easter. And um, Easter is going to be kind of an exciting time as well. I'll tell you more about that in a little while. But for now, I have some quotes for you. The first one is by our co-founder, Charles Fillmore, and it is this. Imagination gives the man the ability to project himself through time and space and rise above all limitations. Imagination gives the man the ability to project himself through time and space and rise above all limitations. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, unless you try to do something beyond what you have already mastered... You will never grow. I like this one a lot. This is by Craig D. Lounsborough. 
Maybe I don't have enough beginnings in my life because I fought against the endings that were about to birth those beginnings. Maybe I don't have enough beginnings in my life because I fought against the endings that were about to birth those beginnings. And finally, this is from Joan Borisenko. If you take a single step toward positive change, that divine energy will take a hundred steps toward you. New worlds and unbelievable possibilities will open up for you. The synchronicities that will begin appearing in your life will become a source of delight and amazement.